welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstones as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Job, chapter 38, verses 4 through 7, New Living Translation. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17 New Living Translation Hi, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm here today with R.D. Fierro, author, founder of Crystal Sea Books, and part-time interior designer. He arranges the books in the display case in the lobby. And speaking of arranging things, we have arranged a very special series on Anchored by Truth that will begin next week. Starting then, and for several weeks in a row, and to help us do that, we will have a very special guest. R.D., do you want to tell us about that extra special series that we'll be introducing today on Anchored by Truth? I do indeed. Today we're going to launch a series of shows that I'm calling The Truth in Genesis. Obviously, Anchored by Truth is all about demonstrating that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. I mean, we start every show with that proclamation. But I think that one of the big challenges that most Christians face today, especially those who take the Bible as the inspired Word of God, is how to sustain that belief in a relativistic world and culture that bombards us constantly with the message that there is no such thing as absolute truth and that there is no way to know whether any book, including the Bible, can be shown to be the Word of God. And certainly for Christians in contemporary culture, one of the biggest challenges that we all face when we want to claim to the belief that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God starts right at the beginning of the Bible in chapter 1, where the Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that exists on the heavens and the earth, including all the living creatures, and most especially, including us. Supposedly, the claim that God created everything in six normal, regular days is at complete odds with what contemporary science tells us about the universe and life. So for a Christian who wants to believe in the inspiration and infallibility of the Bible, one of their immediate challenges that's brought to them by the culture and sometimes by their friends, certainly what they hear in popular media, is that the Bible cannot be true and accurate 
that it cannot be the inspired revelation of an Almighty God because it is so much at odds with what science tells us about the Earth and the universe. That's one of the reasons that we wanted to start this series today, and this series is going to run for several weeks, where we are going to try to point out through our interactions with our guest speaker who will be joining us next week, is that, in fact, there is a substantial body of scientific evidence that demonstrates that the orthodox classic view of the first chapter of Genesis is, in fact, true. So what we want to do is enable our listeners to be able to intelligently and reasonably confront the cultural challenge to the Bible's proclamations about creation. And your contention is that it is a cultural challenge more than a scientific one. Your view is that there is substantial scientific evidence that absolutely supports, as you are saying, the truth in Genesis. And that's what this series of radio episodes is going to be about. We are going to review some of the scientific evidence that pertains to the age of the universe and the earth and the origin and development of life. We believe that conducting this review, listeners will be able to see how objective, scientific observations fit very well with the proper understanding of the Genesis text. And to help us do that, for most of the shows, we have a very special invited guest to help. But before we provide the details about the upcoming special guest, or get too much further into our discussion about the serious material, we'd like to start by just reminding the folks about how the Bible tells us that God did go about creating the heavens and the earth. To do that, we want to play a portion of Crystal Sea's upcoming poetic series called the Genesis Saga. For today, let's listen to part one of the Genesis Saga, which we call Seven Days of Wonder. God was there. Power and wisdom, none to compare. Three in one, perfection and peace. Then perfection spoke and light released. No more gloom, no more void. With a single word, darkness destroyed. The morning stars rose and sang for joy, as God's great plan had been deployed. He said, Light is good. good. It reveals reveals my way. way. Then he pushed apart night and day, evening and morning of day one, but creation's story had just begun. He split the waters above and below. He made an expanse where winds could blow. The heavens soared, its glory showed, The work of day two finished long ago. Light and water, heavens and air, by his power he banished despair. The morning
morning star sang, praised with prayer, creation progressed, his splendor declared. Then God gathered waters into their place, so dry land could appear. He created space for plants to come, yielding their seed. All this occurred as he ended day three. Lights in the heavens, brilliant and fine. Throughout the earth, their light did shine. The moon ruled the night, the sun ruled the day. Day four was done, his beauty on display. Heavenly bodies, fruit-bearing trees, plants in abundance to meet future needs. The morning stars sang in mesmerized wonder, awestruck amazement throughout their number. Living creatures next, fish swarming the sea, and birds in the skies nesting in trees. A brand new world, vibrantly alive, the morning and evening of day five. beasts and cattle onto dry land. His crowning touch, he created man. Finally, for Adam, he fashioned Eve. And on day six, the world was complete. Giraffes and bears dwelled in Eden in peace, no care. The morning stars finished their song of praise for creation unfurled in just six days. The Almighty surveyed what perfection had done. The Father, Spirit, and glorious Son very good, God proclaimed with booming voice, giving all creatures a cause to rejoice. On day seven, God entered his rest. He declared it holy and made it blessed. The earth was done, the heavens complete. Now, time established in days and weeks. The heavens still announce the glory of God. So doesn't it seem strange and odd that many on earth can't look above and see evidence of his matchless love? Men and nations, people everywhere, True son wants your sin to bear. 
He made morning stars. He makes all things new. He made all creation. He can surely save you. But I just love the simple beauty of the descriptions contained in that piece. That piece is visual and emotional, but it also gives us a description of each day of creation that is absolutely faithful to chapter 1 of Genesis. And that was certainly our goal when we created Seven Days of Wonder. In fact, it's always our goal at Crystal Sea and Anchored by Truth. We want people to be drawn back to the Bible for their own inspiration and edification. You see, when it comes to creation, the best that we can do today is to look at the evidence that can be found in the world around us and see where that evidence points us insofar as the story or history of origins are concerned. But the Bible is different. The Bible provides us with an eyewitness account of creation from the only one who was actually there present at creation, which was God. Because God, in fact, was not only an eyewitness, not only was he there, but he was the one who was doing all the creating in the first place. So that's one of the reasons that the Bible is so valuable to the world and to its believers in particular. The Bible gives us, if you will, inside information that the rest of the world will never take the time to look into. But of course, that's the part that causes so much disagreement today or outright disbelief and criticism. Today, a great many people go to science to get their explanation for the origin of the universe, the earth, life, and people. And in a certain sense, that's fine. But we have to remember that it's the scientific evidence that we should look to, as opposed to simply accepting the assertions or the interpretations of that evidence by scientists. Everyone, including you, me, and scientists, approach the world and what we see in the world with a preconceived, established set of axioms. It's a lens, if you will, through which we view issues or through which we view evidence that comes before us. Now, there's a tendency in our day and age to somehow believe that if someone calls himself or herself a scientist, that somehow they've set aside all those preconceptions that afflict all the rest of us mortals and that scientists are somehow operating in a vacuum, in an objective, dispassionate fashion, and that they're somehow ignoring their own set of preconceptions or axioms. Now, I personally don't doubt that the vast majority of scientists are genuinely interested in trying to understand the world and the universe better. I mean, I think it would be a huge mistake to not accord to scientists the belief that I would like to accord to everyone is that they are genuinely acting in good faith with a desire to explore the universe, the Earth, in an objective fashion. It's just that I know that scientists are people, and people come to any problem, or to any issue, or to any subject, with agendas, with aspirations, and with viewpoints. And those agendas, aspirations, or viewpoints are going to affect how they will approach the evidence. So, your point is that different people can approach the same body of evidence and arrive at very different conclusions and a part of their determination will be based on the set of axioms that they use to approach either life in general or in the practice of their profession. And we see that kind of variation in the results of decision-making every day in the world around us. 
two different financial analysts look at exactly the same set of financial statements or business presentations, and one says a company's stock is a buy, and the other says it's a sell. Two different forensic examiners look at the same evidence, and one might say it points to the innocence of the defendant, and the other believes it points to guilt. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to do a series on the book of Genesis, because so often today, especially in the popular media, on television, radio, newspapers, the only discussion that people hear about the Earth's past is very one-sided. Today, almost without exception, we are told that all scientific evidence points to a universe and an Earth that are billions of years old, and that all life on Earth began without an intelligent cause. I would call that intelligent cause God. So we wanted to do a series on Anchored by Truth to examine some of the latest scientific discoveries and see whether or not the conclusion that you can draw from some of those discoveries is that science contradicts Genesis. We just want to take a look at the evidence, and we want to take a look at the evidence to see what the evidence actually says. And that's the reason that we're calling this series The Truth in Genesis. And to help us do that, We've invited one of the premier scientists and experts on the questions of origins, Dr. Jonathan Sarfati, to be our guest in the studio for the next several weeks. For those who aren't familiar with Dr. Sarfati's work, we would encourage listeners to check out his impressive body of writing. He's written a number of widely selling books that challenge the conventional views of what chemistry, geology, and paleontology say about the age of the universe and the origin of life. Dr. Sarfati has sold hundreds of thousands of books, such as Refuting Evolution, Volumes 1 and 2, By Design, The Greatest Hoax on Earth, and The Genesis Account. Dr. Sarfati will be addressing a wide variety of topics during this series, including problems with conventional dating methods, affirmative evidence that the universe is actually fairly young, scientific challenges to life arising from non-living chemicals, and evidence that the Earth's surface provides abundant evidence of a worldwide flood. We will even be doing an entire show just on dinosaurs and what the latest dinosaur research actually tells us about the Earth's history. And I think this is going to be a truly amazing series, especially for listeners who've never had the chance to do much or any personal investigation into what science actually reveals about the key questions of the age of the universe and how life on the earth began. Now, I'd like to emphasize that while we will not be shy about discussing the Bible in connection with these topics, this series we really want to be top-heavy with science. Dr. Sarfati's title is the lead scientist for Creation Ministries International, and Dr. Sarfati has a Ph.D. in physical chemistry himself, and besides that, he's an internationally ranked chess champion. I mean, Dr. Sarfati is so brilliant that he's well known for playing up to 12 chess players simultaneously while they're able to see the boards and while he is blindfolded. He sounds pretty impressive, but what about your earlier warning that the scientists are just people and that we shouldn't necessarily accept their opinions just because they're scientists? And I'm standing by that warning. I don't think anyone should accept Dr. Sarfati's evaluations or analysis just because they come from him any more than I think we should blindly place our trust in any human source. God is the only sure and absolutely reliable source of information. The point of my earlier observation is not that everyone is inherently untrustworthy. 
The point of my earlier observation is that we can and should listen to people who are acknowledged experts in their field, whether it's a geologist, paleontologist, your family doctor, or an auto mechanic. But even though we can place trust in people who are properly qualified, we always need to employ our own reasoning ability and skill to examine whatever that person is telling us. And we have to make our own determination about whether or not what they're telling us makes sense. And we need to be especially cautious if they start telling us that their point of view is the only reasonable or even possible one, which is something that evolutionary adherents have been saying for decades. So what you're saying is, is that when someone says evolution is not a theory, it's a fact, that what they're really trying to do isn't to examine the evidence for or against the evolutionary hypothesis. The real intent is to shut down the debate. They're trying to avoid any need to consider evidence that doesn't support their position. Well, unfortunately, yes, and all too often that's what happens. Conventional science has embraced the evolutionary hypothesis for so long that a great many scientists, as well as lay people, are no longer willing to consider any alternatives. But despite the assertions by the scientists or their followers, the truth is that goo to you, or particles to people, or the sea to me position on evolution is not a proven fact. So the people like me who believe in biblical creationism simply want to point out that that kind of evolution is not a proven fact. And therefore, evolution, as the solution or explanation for the origin of life, should not be promoted dogmatically. But despite that, throughout the halls of academia, of schools and colleges everywhere, as well as in the popular press and media, evolution is promoted as the only reasonable explanation for the origin of life, for the development of biological life on this earth. And it is promoted dogmatically. Now, Philip Johnson, in his groundbreaking book, Darwin on Trial, actually devoted an entire chapter to discussing what he called the Darwinist religion. In other words, he was saying, and you just see that all around you in the world today, all too often the scientific problems with evolution are simply dismissed because the evolutionary paradigm is so embedded, so entrenched, is deemed to be so sacrosanct that no forms of dissent are believed to be tolerable. But one of the ironies that we will be going to cover during the series is the fact that some of the evidentiary elements that are often offered in support of evolution actually point in the opposite direction. For instance, the fossil record is often touted as demonstrating that there is empirical evidence for evolutionary development. But even Charles Darwin recognized that fossil record at the time didn't support his theory. He famously wrote, quote, Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain, and this, perhaps, is the most obvious and serious objection which can be urged against the theory. Darwin hoped that with further exploration, gaps in the fossil record would be closed and the so-called intermediate species would be identified. Yet despite the fact that over 100,000 species are now known from the fossil record, there are only a handful of truly viable candidates that are known to be possible intermediates. And that's just one example of the kind of scientific problems that plague the evolutionary hypothesis, and it's a great example of the kind of topics that we want to discuss during this series. Well, since our time is running out today on this episode of Anchored by Truth, I'd like to cover one final point. During this series, our Truth in Genesis series, we're going to be contrasting biblical creationism versus the molecules-to-men form of evolution. 
Now, I'm well aware that there are other various positions regarding origins and biological development that try to straddle the obvious gaps between these two positions. Such as so-called theistic evolution, where God created life, but then used evolution to form the species that we see existing today? Yes. Theistic evolution is an attempt to resolve the tension between biblical creationism and evolution. And, for instance, the day-age approach is an attempt to resolve the tension, the differences between the time scales that we get from the Bible and from conventional science. I mean, I'm well aware that there are a lot of approaches to try to resolve the vast differences between biblical creationism and evolution as it's normally viewed today. It's just that I think there are significant problems with these kinds of approaches. For instance, one of the problems with theistic evolution is that it places death before sin in the chronology of history. And I think that placing death before sin in the chronology of the history of man and the earth is problematic given the entirety of Scripture, where it's made plain that death came into creation because of sin. So, because of the limited time that we're going to have for addressing the large variety of topics that we do want to address on this Truth in Genesis series, We're going to concentrate primarily on how science actually supports the orthodox view of biblical creationism. And frankly, one of the reasons that we're going to spend our time discussing that is because that's the view that gets the least time in most of the discussions that are held about these issues. There's often a lot of time spent, even in sometimes the popular press and media, on the various attempts, the the middle-of-the-road kinds of attempts, But there's very little time spent showing how science actually supports biblical creationism and what the most normal approach on the kind of popular press, popular media discussions of biblical creationism is simply to dismiss it out of hand and dismiss it entirely. So we think it's fair for us to spend some time on Anchored by Truth, which is, again, a show that's dedicated to demonstrating that the Bible is the inspired and errant and infallible Word of God, We think we want to spend some time showing how science, scientific evidence, the latest scientific discoveries actually demonstrate that the first chapter of Genesis is actually true when it's understood in its normal context. And one of the biggest reasons we want to do this is that we want to be respectful of our listeners' time. All of us have a lot going on, so we want to be sure that if listeners are kind enough to tune into the show or the podcast, we want their time to be rewarded with information that will help them develop in their own investigation of Scripture and development of their faith. Since we've begun a focus on the first chapter of Genesis, how about if today we hear a prayer of adoration for the Creator? A Prayer of Praise for the Creator. Mighty and everlasting Father, you are a kind and merciful God. You have given us eyes to see, fingers to touch, ears to hear, and minds to understand. You bring us into the full and certain knowledge of your transcendent creative power. When men gazed at the stars and sky, they could perceive the depth, but not measure the distance. Through your grace, man now has the ability to understand that your cosmos is more supremely complex 
and vast than ever could have been known before. What mortal mind can fathom this magnificence? Praise be to you, Father of the galaxy, and praise to your Son, who created at your right hand. It is because of his descent that we will one day be lifted up. So we pray and give thanks in his name. Amen. We'd like to remind our audience that a lot of our radio episodes are linked together in series of topics. So if they've missed any episodes, or if they just want to hear one again, all these episodes are available on your favorite podcast app. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. We hope you'll be with us next time as we are joined by Dr. Jonathan Sarfati to begin our in-depth look at the truth in Genesis. If you'd like to hear more... Try out crystalseabooks.com where we're not famous, but our boss is.